Yo. Hey. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> That's what it is. It's not just Happy Tuesday. It's not just a Happy Tuesday. What is it? Taco Tuesday. <laughs> Taco Tuesday. Yo, I don't want to hear nothing about no freaking tacos right now. <laughs> I need my wife's tacos in my life. For those in whom wish that have been blessed enough to try Erica's tacos, you know they're legendary with the jerk, the jerk salmon, and then with a little bit of mango or no. Uh, I make a habanero jam that tops it. And then, of course, you know, my wife, she just does magic. I mean, I don't know what tra- what kind of witchcraft that is or sorcery, but those tacos are amazing. It's hella good. It's hella good. <laughs> so I need that in my life. But you never know. I mean, since next week, um, I may not be. So we may not be live next week. And there's for a specific reason. But we'll get into that after we come back from the intro, because What's up, everybody? This is Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, and co-creator, and all things galactic. Give it up for none other than the wonderful. It's Jalen Juicy and the place to be. What does it, cousins? Happy Tuesday. Yes, we got a lot to get into. So without further ado, go ahead and cue that intro. So we got a lot to get into today because we have a jam-packed show full of topics and everything else. You're seeing us in kind of like a rare form, but, you know, it's always oldie yet goodie, you know, how we do. <laughs> All right. So, but who was first in the chat? I think I think it was somebody that was, it was Uncle Charles, right? Yo, talking about they're back. We back. We're back. (laughs) Salute to you, Uncle Charles, for definitely having your notification bell turned on. We definitely love your support and everything else and what you mean to the show. So we salute you today. And if you want to be shouted out in the show, just make sure you have your bell turned on. Alongside with that, in order for you to like definitely be a part of this whole cousins family reunion thing, definitely make sure you are subscribed to the channel. And if you like the video, I mean, we ain't going to be mad at that. We appreciate you. All right. So uh just a little bit of housekeeping so next week i may or may not be here because your boy is turning 38 you know (laughs) it's been a long 2023 long 2022 from 2020 actually 2018 to now there's a lot that I've gone through and everything else, a lot of, you know, transition. And honestly, it's like one of those ones where it's just like, I just want to kind of like relax, you know, just decompress. It's been a lot. So, you know, we're going to see how it plays out, though, because I never know what the people around me got planned. So we're going to see how it all plays. But, you know, hey, there it is. All right. So, um, Jolyn, what should we get into first? Because we got a lot to talk about, you know, a lot. Well, like a whole lot, a whole lot. Of- <laughs> things that's top of mind right now is um CPI, Consumer Price Index, because 
We just need to talk about it. All right. Done. So our the shout out to our producer, Levick, for going ahead and throwing up on the banner. We got CPI data and it reads, are we in trouble? Huh. Well, <laughs> interesting. Let's go ahead and cue that wonderful uh, U.S. Uh, Bureau uh, Statistics or Bureau of Labor and Statistics uh, to be a little bit more correct. So if you don't know, uh, CPI is a measure of the average uh, change over time as it pertains to prices paid in urban consumers. Uh, for a market basket of uh, consumer goods and services. So indexes are available for U.S. and various geographical areas. Uh, average price data for select utility, automotive, fuel, and food items are also available. So what we're looking for, like we've already had CPE uh, that are, or PCE that came out, and now we're going CPI uh, tomorrow. And so I'm just going to give you all my take on it. I think um, that we'll probably still have CPI, if not rise or come in flat. But I think that it's going to be pretty much like a misnomer. Uh, but at the same token, the one thing that gives me an, like that leads me to the air of caution is definitely looking at uh food items mm -hmm. and energy. So I think that we're probably going to see energy probably come up a little bit. And then I think that what we're going to see is food in certain areas come down. Now, one of the things that I always tell people, if you want to kind of also get a nice little good read on things, go on over there to our friends over there at Bar Chart, where they have this wonderful uh, source of information where you can check out their future side of things and things to pay attention to, simple things like wheat, uh, meat, like cattle and all that other stuff alongside with like things like orange juice, you know, those can give you somewhat decent reads as it pertains to also where we see the prices of certain goods go up. Um, so there you have it. Like sometimes what I, I'll do is I'll actually study the future side of like items like food just to see exactly where do we fall. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, if you're looking at oil, then you can pay attention to like OPEC uh, as well as, you know, pretty much the, the entire cartel of you know, hey, are we raising production? If they're raising production, then that means that, or if they're if they're increasing production, then that means that prices probably might come down. But if they're limiting production or halting production, then that means their prices should go up for oil. Um, it's kind of like a simple scarcity uh, thing in which that we look at for energy perspective. You're gonna ask me a question, Jolene? Well, yeah, I was gonna ask you, do you know what I use to track my own personal? My own personal CPI in um, well, the store shelves. <laughs> no, well, you're close. Um, okay. Trader Joe's hash browns. Mm. All right, tell me more. I'm intrigued. So when the hash browns, if y'all don't know about the hash browns, the hash browns are where it's at in Trader Joe's. They're the frozen ones. So when they first came out, they I don't remember how many were in a pack, but you get like a decent amount in a pack at least 12. Okay. Um, and they were really close to a dollar, like a dollar 29. Um, and over the years, as inflation has increased, those, um, same hash browns, mm -hmm. same pack gets higher and higher, closer and closer to $2. So a couple of years ago, they were at one ninety nine. Now they're pushing, um, even closer to like the, over the $2 mark. They may be soon. They may soon hit that three dollar, maybe two seventy five, two ninety nine, which is still a decent price. But when you remember that it was almost a dollar, it just makes you feel some type of way in the morning when you're about to have your breakfast. But <laughs> that is what I look at. It's like I'll just go into the um, Trader Joe's and just look and see. Okay. Still pay three dollars for those hash browns. It's worth it because that's like nothing. But. 
That's my personal tracker mark. <laughs> well, so, all right. So, I get, like I said, the expectation is it will show that inflation is still somewhat rising. But mm-hmm. at, but I think the biggest thing to look at is, is it rising, but yet at a slower pace in comparison to like months over months? I mean, everybody always does this thing where we compare it year over year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at it year over year, then of course you're going to be able to tell that, okay, hey, it's not as bad as, or it's not going to be as high in a change as it once was, or it's going to be showing that. But I like to pay attention to the month over month because the month over month really starts to show you the trend of things like where are we headed? Like, are we seeing like dips or are we seeing, you know, kind of like what you're looking at as a stock market chart, except that you can only see the the chart change every month. Um, And so, again, it's like, of course, markets are like literally rattled of, hey, well, if the Fed literally, you know, will this push the Fed if we see a higher than expected CPI number? Will this push the Fed to like do more than one rate hike? So currently the what's on the table is two rate hikes uh, before 2023 is over. And so far, the market's kind of like like saying, OK, yeah, we know that two rate hikes is on the table. But, you know, if the CPI data is still being, you know, if it's still if the CPI is CPIing the way it should be doing, <laughs> you like what I did there, um, then essentially maybe instead of two rate hikes, then we'll just get one. And we might we might find ourselves either at a 25 basis point move or it may just be a straight up rip the bandaid off situation with a 50 basis point move and then just call it done. Now, of course, we've been hearing a lot of things from the Federal Reserve, but a lot of folks have been talking about, well, the Federal Reserve has said this. They said this. But one of the things that they also say is that they're forecasting and that they're also looking at what the data says very carefully before making a decision. Whereas in 2022, it was like, look, (laughs) we're just going for it. And we'll see exactly, you know, how things move. So, again, higher than expected CPI reading could lead to concerns about inflation, uh, which could weigh on the markets. And I think that what we're seeing is that, you know, there was there was there was some chatter talking about that we could see a potential hundred uh, point move in the S&P 500, uh, given the volatility, given the bottlenecks of what we've been seeing, because the market has been kind of like trading like flat lately. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it, the question is. What is the market waiting on? Well, I mean, it's very obvious the market is waiting on what's going to be the read for CPI. So we could possibly be seeing that there's a lot of volatility in tomorrow's event based upon the data. So they're forecasting it to be 0.3, so less than last month. Um, so if we look at that, plus take into consideration, you know, the employment rate, which is mm-hmm. at 3.6%. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at the Fed, are you saying, <laughs> are you saying that the Fed is more likely to scrap one of those um, basis points or are you saying that it's going to, there's still going to be two hikes? I think in my opinion, if we see 25 basis point move uh, Mm -hmm. in this month, then we'll probably see another 25 basis point move. Or I mean, if it's really like, you know, Hey, you really want to just say, okay, Hey, like just one more for good measure, one more uh, gut punch, then just go ahead and just give us 50. Uh, we're not going to be like, you know, Dylan Brooks and say, you got to give me 40, you got to give me 50. So honestly, in that regard, I think that, you know, I think that honestly, 225 basis points makes sense, um, where it leads us to 50 anyways. But like I said, we could see at the very high highest, we could probably see 75 basis points uh, added to the table before we come out of uh, 2023. But my best guess is uh, 50 basis points altogether. Alrighty. All right. So, do we got another topic? Yeah, let's talk about our favorite artificial intelligence. 
Artificial intelligence. Okay. All right. So uh, I get this a lot, actually. I get this conversation or these questions a lot of, is AI real or is it a fad? Well, first things first, for everybody who has now been introduced to AI, welcome. <laughs> I'm glad that you're enjoying the tools of uh, generative AI. But I mean, let's make no mistake about it. Like artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, uh, GPT services, which is generative AI and other uh, sources of it. We've been seeing this stuff around for years. And so it's not a fad. It's actually something that's definitely here to stay and ultimately growing over time. Now, what does that mean for, say, for example, you know, everybody that's looking out for you know, earnings and stuff like that or, or just looking at companies, right? Because that's where it ties to when we look at not earnings, but let's look at companies in general. So you're seeing a lot of companies that are making that shift and saying that, okay, hey, we're, we're definitely you know, shifting more so towards AI tools and everything else. I think there was a company today that reported that, I think it was Shutterstock, that said that they're going to add generative AI or AI tools in there so that way you can edit photos and everything else. I mean, that's great. Um, but I look at it like this. That's just the... I think that that's, that's more so the consumer part alongside with some of the smaller business cases for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we're still waiting on some of those larger shoes to drop where, you know, now you start using those AI tools and everything else to start solving actual problems. Like, for example, using those large models, not just large language models, because there's more than just that. But like you can literally create a financial uh, language model where essentially it gets into investing or it gets into fighting things like climate change or supply chain and logistics. You know, language models are not just like, for example, just the conversational pieces, but using them in other arenas in which that it, it takes the whole breadth of main, of, of main Street. And I think that that's what we're looking for. It just, I think we're still in the very early innings of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that, you know, you guys have probably seen on, on Twitter where Dan Ives talks about this is like a 1995 moment uh, where for those that didn't know, 1995 was really like the golden years of the very genesis of what would come for a lot of technological advancements and everything else that were literally starting to boom. Now, of course, you had 1999 that after some folks had missed the bus and then ultimately still wanted to make money. They were coming out with all these ridiculous startups and everything else. And it was just like a money pit pool and everything else. But I think that we're we're too far from that. I think that we're at the very early innings of seeing a lot of disruption starting to take place across multiple different sectors and industries. So I don't think that this is a fad. I think that it's here to stay. And I'll get, and I'll give some other data points after your question, Jolene. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I agree that it's definitely not a fad. Um, but the question is, how much is artificial intelligence propping up? you know, valuations. Are we, you know, if we look at all the companies that are um, talking about, like in their earnings, they mention AI and mm -hmm. AI is like an economic driver and mm -hmm. it's our bottom line versus most of those companies um, were established before, um, you know, any AI, any significant AI mention in their earnings, right? Yep. So, and then we have these other companies like Shutterstock that they're using AI as an add-on. Yep. So I think we need to talk about like that distinction between those that are actually moving the AI needle forward, so to speak, versus companies that are treating it like an add on and trying to ride that wave of, you know, earnings buzzwords. Yeah. So that's a phenomenal question. And so if we look at let, let's take a step back real quick, because when you examine companies, when it comes to AI, 
judge them based upon these three cores. And I typically look at it also. One, the cost of implementation. So companies are going to be spending exorbitant amounts of dollars in order to essentially make those things like really go. AI just isn't something that you just, okay, we just plug it in and all of a sudden it just works. That's mm -hmm. not that's not how it works. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Um, but so really looking at like how much are they spending to implement that into their actual business and their process. Now, companies like NVIDIA, I mean, you see that they spent exorbitant amounts of dollars and then you saw like the lineage of how they ultimately got there, like using mm -hmm. their their semiconductor uh, a lot of their semiconductor uh, IP to literally move forward and start building a, a, a library of large language models, aka LLMs, that a lot of people like really build upon and essentially do their day to day business. So, I mean, that's one company. And now you saw it in their past earnings where you saw that even in a market where, say, for example, PC sales are ridiculously like off, like a lot of people aren't spending money on PC sales. Why? Because they're spending money on cloud services in which that they can do a lot of these things within the cloud that doesn't require them to have to use so much of their own personal computing power. They can just use it from the cloud. That's one thing. The second thing is when we look at it from the standpoint of like the need for skilled workers. So look at the amount of recruiting that some of these companies are doing. Like one thing that you can do as a cheat code, even if you're not looking for a job, go check out places like LinkedIn or Indeed or any of these other places and go check out exactly what jobs are literally starting to hit, like what jobs are new that are newly being created. Because when you have like if AI is here to stay, it's going to create more jobs because of the fact that you're going to have to build a moat around it in order for it to be included into the business process. One other thing that I mentioned there about NVIDIA that I, well, that I failed to mention about NVIDIA is look at how their revenue changed. Like even in the sense that there was a market that like the PC sales died, but their data cloud and, and AI services significantly skyrocketed. And that was just the first quarter. So the question is, will we see more of that? I'm probably sure that we will. But at the same token, will they scale it back as it pertains to their margins? Probably so. Why? It has nothing to do with the high cost of things because we already know that the demand is very much so there. But the thing is, they're going to they're going to do it the Amazon way. And everybody knows the Amazon way is, yeah, we're bringing in all this amount of cash. But are we just going to be like other value based companies where we just we, we just become the cash cow, but we have all this cash and yet we're not doing anything with it? No, they're going to consistently reinvest a portion of those margins back into the company, which should ultimately in the future boosts growth as well as future shareholder value and then the third thing is again Wait, what was the second thing I only oh, the need for skilled workers okay gotcha so watch recruiting so the first thing that we got is the cost of implementation so mm -hmm. aka the tools that are being developed the second thing is looking for skilled workers because you're going to need people to either build those tools or to also build upon those things and also to improve the process you know another way that we look at how ai has changed things Look at HR departments. HR departments are no longer centralized. They're now more so like embedded across different parts of the business. So if you look at folks who work HR at Amazon, they don't work just, okay, I just work HR at Amazon. No, you work HR at amazon.com. You work at HR for AWS. You work HR for this division within this company. So they're building individual silos. And the reason why is because with the AI tools partnered together with some of those things, it makes it so much easier and cheaper. 
Um, and then the third thing is ethical uh, implications of AI, which is going to create a whole new stratosphere as it pertains to legislation and everything else. We've seen even in legal places where we've seen that, okay, hey, you know, where some folks are now getting disbarred for trying to use generative AI or getting fined or sanctioned uh, because of the fact that, again, they use generative AI tools that they didn't fully vet out and then they used it in court. And essentially they got reprimanded or they're now facing disciplinary action for that. You know, we're, like I said, we're still very much so in the very early innings because of the fact that the disruption is coming so fast that everything else is going to have to take time in order to catch up. And I think that's the reason why a lot of folks think that it's just a fad because they see the speed of things that are coming forth. But yet at the same token, the world has to catch up to it and that's going to take time. Yeah, I think that that lays out those three things really do lay out the distinction between a company that's using AI as an add-on versus a company that can leverage it as an economic driver. Yep. All right. So uh, what's next on our list? Ooh, recession. (laughs) The doom (laughs) is coming. Is question? it? <laughs> question mark? Um, in my firm belief, yes, I do believe that a recession is coming. Um, now, what kind of recession? Now, a lot of folks are like, oh, was it going to be like 2008, 2009? No, I don't I don't see that happening. Um, what I see happening is, of course, the Fed keeps doing what they're doing and letting something break, but not essentially literally be destroyed. There's a difference between something breaking and then something being mm-hmm. completely destroyed. I don't think that the Fed is going to literally taint the economy and everything else. The Fed is going to ultimately put the market into the the overall economy into a recession by slowing us down, which allows prices and everything else to start to stabilize. And I think that that's what I think that that's what their focus has consistently been as it pertains to their mandate. Now, have they gotten it completely right? Absolutely not. (laughs) Could they have moved a lot faster Say, for example, in 2021, yes, they could have. But, you know, hey, you can't cry over spilled milk. The only thing that you can do is wipe it up and essentially keep moving forward. And I think that that's what they're doing. So when we think about Fed rate hikes, they're expected when you find yourself in high inflation environments. And we're still in a high inflation environment. Before the pandemic, I think that we were sitting at a 3% uh, inflation rate, if I'm correct. Either that or about like two and and some change. And so, you know, ultimately it's going to like, think about how long it took for us to get up as it pertains to spiked. So when we spike, things go pretty fast, just like AI, how fast it spiked in order for things to stabilize and come down and meet a new normal, that's going to take time. And if we look at what the federal reserve is doing, their projections are also over a three year period. So they weren't expecting these things to really take place over a 12 month span. If anybody thought that we would be at a five or six percent inflation rate and then ultimately we would just get down to or we would get to whatever the high inflation is and then we would just be back to two percent just like that. That's not going to happen. It was not going to happen. So when you look at it over a three year standpoint, though, could we see ourselves hitting that two year target or, or hitting that three in three years? Could we hit that two percent inflation target? Yes, we could. I think that the new normal, though, is definitely going to be three percent inflation. Yeah. And also a reminder to look at inflation um, from a global perspective as well, like how other countries are, what their um, inflation rates are, because I believe ours is pretty low compared to the rest of the world. Yep. So which leads into like what we talked about, like, you know, again, you know, if you're thinking stock markets, pretty much simply, simply put, if the CPI data shows inflation is still rising, stock market can sell off. If we see that the inflation data shows that things are coming under control, we'll probably see a market rally. 
Um, if the Fed announces a rate hike in the coming months that the stock and then the stock market could definitely sell off. But I think that, you know, it's actually funny because it's perfect timing around this time average on an annualized basis. The market tends to like, you know, stall out around this time in July. And then normally in August and September, that's normally since you're not getting yeah. as much volume as you normally would be accustomed to, you're probably going to have a sell-off uh, when it comes to the stock market, and which ultimately turns into a 9 or 10% correction. And, and for anybody that saw my Twitter account or wherever else you may have heard me place you know, my, my thought process, I think that my projection for the S&P 500 is at 4,000 as it pertains to a target for correction, which would be a healthy 9% uh roughly uh correction and then essentially it's like okay hey we picked right back up around september and it's kind of interesting because around the time of corrections corrections normally typically come to their end close to around the same time that we see federal budgets ultimately close out around september 30th mm -hmm. and then pick right back up going into the next year it's fairly interesting but if you ever want to get do some extra reading go check it out all right what we got next i have no idea oh credit markets Ooh. So if we, it's like if we're going to talk about like, let's say if we're going to talk about like recession and inflation, then, of course, we got to talk about credit markets. Now, credit markets, I think they're already starting to tighten. You know, the yield curve has inverted, which is a sign that investors are expecting economic growth to slow down. Right. I mean, I feel like that's a that's an easy one. This could lead to a decline in corporate earnings, which we have seen in some areas, but not all of them, which could weigh on the stock market. So. Think about it like this. Fed rate hikes will likely lead to higher borrowing costs, which we've seen. Like if you've seen housing and everything else, uh, mm -hmm. that's naturally what's transpiring when the Fed raises rates. So as the Fed raises interest rates, it will become more expensive for businesses and consumers to borrow money. So which means that the requirements to borrow money. So one of the things that I would probably pay attention to is definitely student loan areas, uh, personal loan, cons like personal loan and consumption in those areas, uh, consolidation, those types of things. I would definitely be paying attention to those. And then also looking at corporate, uh, corporate borrowing as well. So like all those companies that are looking to borrow cash, no notice how you're seeing people looking to raise money using the stock market as a stock offering than versus taking out loans right now or taking out debt. There's a reason behind that. Um, so again, those things. So when businesses make less investment, then that leads to economic slowdown and growth. And then, of course, the other part to that is stock market. You know, we've been hearing a lot from you know many different various talking points that the stock market is overvalued. So the S&P currently is trading at, a, I think it's a P.E. ratio of about 20, uh, which is above its historical average. Um, so that means that essentially that investors are naturally paying at a higher price premium than paying for, you know, something that's a little bit lower premium, which ultimately formulates a deal. So let me give you a perspective here. So that way we can kind of like, you know, bring it all full circle. If you're in like, I'm going to bring you guys into the startup world. So let's say that, you know, if you had the opportunity to invest in Meta early on, very, very early on, mm -hmm. back when Mark Zuckerberg was still a student at Harvard, would you make the investment into Meta or into Facebook at the time or the Facebook when it was at that time? Most likely your answer is going to be yes. Okay. So, but then when you get to a place where like, okay, hey, depending on where you sit, let's say the company is raising another round of capital years later at let's say a billion dollars, but yet the offering of what you get is way lower. Are you going to pay that high price premium? Probably not. <laughs> It's going to price out a lot of folks because they're going to think that, oh, wow, that's too rich for my blood. I'm out. 
And that's okay. And that's what's ultimately what you're seeing right now, where people are saying, okay, hey, the S&P 500 right now is too expensive based upon what we're seeing in the market because credit markets are tightening. The Fed is still raising, they're, they're still raising rates. Mm -hmm. And essentially we're starting to see that companies are also not like, they're also starting to get a little bit tighter in their finances, AKA look at how credit markets are also affecting companies like a, a la a Microsoft. Now, Microsoft makes a lot of money. They have a lot of cash on the sideline. But tell me why, after they've already laid off X amount of people, why are they going to be laying off more people? It's for the margins. <laughs> you got to protect things. And again, it's like that leads to exposure. So investors should be mindful because, again, when we think about this, it feeds towards a risk tolerance. So what is your risk appetite? You know, are you able to accept the risk, understanding that essentially that, you know, that you could probably be we could probably head down lower. And again, it's like a lot of times people think about it just from a simple standpoint of consumer borrowing. So like, for example, where we're talking about those personal loans, student loans and all that other, other stuff. But it's more than just that. Like think about company businesses that need to borrow money in order for them to actually get started. Well, the cost of capital or the cost to borrow has now gone up. The requirements when they go to banks has now gone up. So when you think about it, they're going to have to put up more collateral in order to get that loan for a business. When you think about it also, they're going to have to, like if you're looking at a reshoring deal, there's going to be more requirements to actually close those deals because of the fact that, again, you're in a tight credit market. And when we get to like, and when we think about it like that, I'll, I'll make it more human for everybody. I'll remove credit. And I'll look at the job market. I'll just replace job markets. Okay. So what happens if, so when the job market is on fire, then that means that everybody's getting, everybody's getting jobs, right? You get a job, you get a job, you get a job. But when job markets start to get tight, <laughs> what happens? People like, you know, want jobs, like if it's tight, you're not going to yeah. get a job or you are potentially stuck somewhere. Even if you want to leave, you can't. So there is stagnant. And then if you're not able to move up because the jobs are tightening, then the people that are coming after you, there's nowhere for them to go because you're in their position when you should have been promoted. But if there's that contraction, there's no money for those promotions. Correct. And so if you remove those things from, say, if you remove the word job and replace it with credit, it's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's going to start getting tight or even tighter. And when you do that, you slow down the economy because now the business investment starts to slow. The consumer spending starts to slow. And that's what they want. Next case. Ooh, earnings snippet. Wow. This is like going like directly like in order. Yes. <laughs> earnings season. I feel like it feels like it's so short. Like we just talked about this and now we back. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so let's talk about earnings real quick, because a lot of times like people are like, OK, hey, Mark, you know, we see that the market is up, but, you know, do the earnings reflect that? Now, remember what I talked about NVIDIA? You're going to have companies like that that are misnomers, but then at the same token, now they're trading at valuations that are ridiculously high. So what you could see is even though that they have a good earnings and solid beat across the board or they they came in line with earnings estimates and everything else. If there's if, if people are still willing to sell, they're going to sell. Now, one of the things that has been definitely propping up things, and I think that it's not like going to be a doom and gloom situation. I think that the things to pay attention to is, of course, the impact of inflation. So investors are definitely going to be still paying attention to that, especially for companies that have been like literally like pigeonholed due to inflation. 
Um, I think that the economic growth story will definitely play a huge role into earnings. I mean, we saw the AI was still there. I think the AI will still be a part of the conversation. But I think that now that we're in mid-year and going into the closeout of the year where investors are starting to look towards the future, now it's like, okay, hey, well, you know, what are we looking at? Like, you know, and I think that the thing is, is like, okay, if we're going to be deploying capital in October slash November, you know, do we still stay with the with the horses that have been winning this race or do we take do we take money off of the table and reallocate our portfolio somewhere else you know we're starting to hear a lot about industrials we're starting to hear a lot about other major players you know and that's fine that's okay i like a i like a bull market that ultimately broadens itself out as long as we're not in the bear market because i feel like bear markets are just like just too depressing and i like to see people happy um (laughs) um but yeah so things to just pay attention to just just to keep it simple uh economic growth impact of inflation and guidance so companies that do exorbitantly that do well and then also raise their full year guidance they're definitely still going to be in in high favor um the s&p 500 is very top heavy right now i think that we could probably see some of that rebalancing where they start to share some of that love but i think one of the things to be careful of is a lot of those fund managers and money managers and folks in whom much that have been holding on to capital, you have to remember a lot of them are going to be reluctant to sell because of the fact that they don't want to be hit with a 50% capital gains tax and other taxes that go with that for the short term. So if their if their duty is to return value back to their customers, one or their clients, but yet at the same token, you know, you don't want to have that eaten up by let's say 30% of let's say of that is short-term capital gains tax. And no matter what, you're still gonna have to pay the money manager the moment that you decide to pull. So that brings you significantly up, depending on what their their portfolio management fees are. So what if they say it's 20% or 10%? Well, you're going to be impacted by that. And I think that that's the reason why a lot of folks are reluctant to sell. What they'll probably do is they'll probably boost some volatility up and then ultimately play leverage positions, whether it's uh, covered calls or call spreads or even just naked calls or naked puts against to hedge against their actual overall portfolio weighting position and essentially say, OK, hey, well, since we can't give up the short term capital gains, we'll just trade a few of these things here at a, with a small allocation in the portfolio. All right. So we kind of touched on a little bit, but future talk. Future, the future. Okay. So, hmm. okay. So here's some things that I'll say that I will look at as trends for 2024. Mm -hmm. And then I'll also say potential risks for 2024. Is that fair? Yep. That's fair. All right. So some of the trends, the key trends that we'll see that will continue, that will likely continue to shape the markets in 2024 uh, of course, continue growth in AI. I think that that's going to become even bigger when we find out next year who else has been investing, uh, who else has been spending for that implementation next year. I think the rise of new technologies such as blockchain and quantum computing. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit you know, earlier, but I think that that will, that will probably make a few annou- buzz announcements here and there. Um, and I think that with that, I think that pay attention to, the, to Bitcoin and Ethereum. I don't really talk a lot about cryptocurrency here. But I definitely see that there's a lot of institutional interest now uh, that's literally starting to jam pack into that cryptocurrency space. I think that especially when we think about ETFs and I think the biggest thing is that they go with where their client's appetite is. So their clients want exposure to cryptocurrency, but yet in a safe way without having to worry about, okay, hey, am I safe? You could probably put together a Bitcoin ETF or an Ethereum ETF and essentially be invested into that vehicle and would essentially not having to worry about all the other 
exorbitant amounts of you know volatility in that space, um, which is going to create opportunities for like you know companies like Coinbase. I think in 2024, they're one of the major proponents, especially one of the very few companies that has lasted through a lot of the you know the purge that took place in 2022 and early uh, 2023. Um, I think also the increasing importance of data with large language models and everything else. I think that people are going to get back to the thing as it pertains to data. And I, I posted a quote uh, or I posted a, something on my Twitter saying, you are you are only as useful as the data that you create. I think that's the new world that you know people will start to understand, start to transpire and take place in 2024. It's an unfortunate event and it's also somewhat dark, but you know, hey, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> um, risks. Um, I think that there are definitely, you know, some some serious risks. Uh, of course, we already know the looming risk, which is recession, you know, the the slowing of growth. And, you know, I think that that's going to bring out a lot of your, you know, your value players, you know, focus on the dividend. They have, or they got cash. They got a strong dividend and everything else. And, you know, they'll have their they'll probably have a little bit of their moment in the sun. But at the same token, you know, for the traders out there, they probably will have fun next year because of the fact that volatility will step back into the markets in 2024. I expect more volatility to come back into the market in 2024. We had low volatility this market, which, you know, you kind of have an idea of where the market's going. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're going to have as volatile of a market as we saw in 2022, but I definitely believe that we will have some volatility for sure. Um, and then, like I said earlier, the impact of climate change. I think that that will be another uh, risks. Uh, but, you know, even in risk, there is opportunity within risk. So, you know, you just got to look carefully. But I definitely believe that, you know, what we're seeing that's transpiring across not only just the United States, but around the globe, I don't think that we are going to see that slowing down. I think that that's going to continue. So like, for example, where you have these major floods that are taking place in Vermont, you know, come on, Vermont. Yeah. yeah. I think there was a flood also in Chicago, Illinois, you know, and, you know, and think about it, like, if, what was it last year? You had a snowstorm in Texas. Right. So again, I don't see those things slowing down. I think that we'll probably see more of that, some of that activity pick back, that we'll see more of that pick up. And I think that that can also have an impact on you know that brings a lot of risk towards companies and everything else and when you think about it supply chain you know growth the growth story for main street market as well as uh, international markets that's going to play a huge role and that's you know those are just my projections for 2024. well that's a lot to um take into consideration especially since we are what the we only have five more months not even five full months left of 2023 and it'll be time to start thinking about trading plans and all that for 2024 and beyond so yeah it's a good good one to come back to you know yeah so how did we do today yeah 541 we did good (laughs) i think it was a 40 45 minute episode look man people don't understand like how tough it is to try to jam pack all this information into like you know a short span of like time and also make sure that it's not not only just you know, understandable, but also digestible. And on top of that, you're learning something and it also gives you some pieces in which that you can pick up the crumbs for. Um, It's a challenge. And so, you know, I try to do the very best that I can. And I know that JoLynn does too, because she, she helps as well as it pertains to the curation of these discussion topics. Um, So, I mean, I hope that, you know, everybody picked up value there uh, from what we discussed today. And if anything, it's like, like I said, Don't just be scared of the risks and everything else that you hear. I mean, you know, of course, the risk only just keeps you grounded like because you don't, you know, want to be left high and dry. 
But, you know, also be sure to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Weigh the risks, you know, of course. But, you know, if you if the risks, you know, if the juice is worth the squeeze, then go for it. Go make orange juice or lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you, everybody, for watching. I hope you guys enjoyed. Until next time, I am Mark Monroe. And I'm Jalen GC and the place to be. And this has been Executive Education. We'll catch y'all in the next one. Peace, y'all. Thank you.